it's helpful for you to know perhaps that I'm like, yeah, every day something happens where I get rejected and turned down and told it's not very good. It's just part of the process. Thrive friends, this is your host, Dr. Solomon. How could you coach your team without advice? And who will be better to answer this question than the author of the best-selling book, The Coaching Habit, Michael Bungay Stenier. Michael is a TEDx speaker, a Rhodes Scholar. He is Australian, and he now lives in Toronto, a fellow Canadian. He mastered the stagecraft at law school by appearing in a skit called Synchronized Nude Male Modeling, I'm curious about this, Michael. <laughs> do you want me to tell or do you want me to show? <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> I'll leave this to you, Michael. Look, I, was, I, I did a law degree, obviously, and um, I, it, I, it was a, not a good decision. I wasn't a great law student. I'm not that interested in law. I kind of did it as a backup plan. And one great thing about the law school was they every year they had an uh, annual review, a skit. You know, it's like trying to be funny on stage. And a friend of mine, who's now a CEO down in Silicon Valley, did something called synchronized nude male modeling. So he and I were naked and we backed onto stage together. We went through a series of synchronized moves while somebody did a kind of funny commentary full of innuendo and the like. And uh, it was quite the moment. It was, it was exciting and thrilling and terrifying all of them at the same time. Must have been very controversial. Well, you know, it, it got people talking, that's for sure. For people who do not know Michael, Michael is... A number one coach globally in 2019. He is an authority in coaching, not only through his book, The Coaching Habit, but through his recent book, The Advice Trap. Michael, let's start with The Advice Trap and sure. walk backward. Okay. Uh, are a big fan of coaching without advice and starting with the questions such as what's in your mind? Yeah. What else? Do you find it difficult? to maintain time boundary when you ask your clients very open-ended questions like these ones? Yeah, it's a great question because one of the key reasons people resist being more coach-like is they're like, who has time for this? <laughs> Particularly if you work in organizations and the like, and you're, I'm trying to lead a team and you hear people say, you need to add coaching to the way that you lead and manage people. On the one hand, you're like, sure, I get that intellectually. That's probably a good thing. But then there's this moment where you're like, but I'm really busy. <laughs> I'm really, I'm already overcommitted. I've got too many things. If I, if I have to coach everybody on my team, I'm never going to go home. I'm just going to be coaching the whole time as well as my, my actual job. Indeed. And I'd say there are two things to that. The first is um, we, the, the idea of coaching has a certain amount of baggage to it. People are like, oh, yeah, coaching. To coach somebody, it's at least a half-hour conversation. And I tend to go, look, this isn't coaching. This is you being more coach-like. It's a leadership behavior, being more coach-like, being curious a little bit longer. That's what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. and my belief is that like, if you can't coach somebody in 10 minutes or less, you don't have time to coach. So there is no doubt that asking the question, hey, what's on your mind or what's the real challenge here for you, will likely take a little longer than just telling people what to do. Mm -hmm. But the upside is you're more likely to figure out what the real problem is. You're more likely to come up with better solutions. You're more likely to have somebody who's engaged and feels empowered and feels able to not to come to you for advice the next time. You're more likely not to have to take this on and solve it yourself. So your job doesn't only involve doing your job, but involves doing other people's job. Mm -hmm. So you, you've got to make that choice. But I think there's a lot of good evidence that says, Staying curious just a little bit longer 
giving advice and rushing to action a little bit more slowly can very quickly pay good dividends for you in terms of time management. Indeed. Would you advise to frame the session in terms of timing with the yeah. client? So you tell them we have, say, half an hour, and then they will keep this in mind while they're answering your questions. Yeah. So um, I think there's, it's often good to do as much framing as possible in all sorts of conversations. I mean, it's, you know, you and I had a conversation and before you hit live, you're like, this is about a half hour podcast. And I'm like, that's helpful. I'm like, okay, so we'll be done by about quarter past. Lovely. Um, so it's always good to frame situations up. Hey, I just want to grab 10 minutes with you. That makes me go, I've got 10 minutes to spend. I'll come and have that conversation with you. Here's the difference though. In, in most of my encouragement for people to be more coach-like, it's not actually a session. It's just a regular conversation where you happen to be more curious. So you can be more coach-like, you know, when you're riding up the elevator on the way to work, when you're checking in on your monthly, your daily one-to-ones or your weekly one-to-ones, when you're exchanging emails, um, when you're texting somebody, you know, somebody on your team goes, hey, Michael, how do I do the blah, blah, blah? And instead of rushing into advice giving mode, which I might be tempted to do, I'll go, that's a good challenge. Let me ask you, what's the challenge here for you in this? And mm -hmm. so I haven't really set a timing around it because I'm not calling them a session. I'm just saying every time I'm interacting with somebody, I'm trying to be a little more coach-like, to be curious a little bit longer. So for you, coaching is part of any normal conversation. Yeah. And not and that means you can be more coach-like with your your team that you mm -hmm. lead, your boss, colleagues and peers that you might be working with, mm -hmm. your kids, the random person across the street. Because, and this is a big part of what I'm about, which is like, let's try an unweird coaching. <laughs> let's take it out of the the place where you're like, oh, it's a special occasion and therefore we're doing some coaching. I'm like, no. Your relationships will improve with people if you're genuinely interested in them and you're curious and you ask some good questions. That's what I'm championing here. Mm -hmm. Did anyone push back on this idea and tell you, well, Michael, in this way, every coach should not be paid for what they do because they are simply having a conversation. It's really worth separating out. If you're a professional coach, mm -hmm. which means you pay me for this work we do together. You pay me for this time we put aside. Um, I'm not here just because I'm good at asking questions. I'm here because I'm creating space for you to think. I'm creating a safe space for you to talk about difficult stuff. I'm mm -hmm. asking powerful questions that can move you on around something. So there's the professional coaching piece. Mm -hmm. And then there's the being more coach-like with the people who you work with. And mm -hmm. when I have been a professional coach, I'm like, well, this is the deal. It costs X hundred dollars a session to work with me. If you don't want to pay it, that's fine. We just won't work together. But if I'm leading people on my team, I'm not saying to Ainsley, okay, Ainsley, I've enjoyed managing you today. By the way, you owe me a hundred bucks because we had that conversation. Um, it's just part of the way I'm showing up to be a leader and a manager of my team. The advice mm -hmm. trap. Mm -hmm. Terrific, terrific book. And it is hard to think that you're giving advice not to give advice. Yeah, I know. I'm not actually giving, I'm, I mean, I get the, the irony of that, which is like, yeah. this is ridiculous, a book saying, here's some advice, don't give advice. But what I'm really saying is, here's some advice, uh -huh. slow down the rush to give advice. Uh -huh. Because it's stupid, you know, it's ludicrous to say never give advice, because yeah. A, nobody's going to follow that particular piece of advice. 
And actually, our whole world is built on useful exchanges of information. What I'm trying to draw attention to is how quickly the majority of us just react and respond and default to advice giving. So this is why I say being coach-like is, can you stay curious a little bit longer? Mm-hmm. Can you rush to action and advice giving a little bit more slowly? It's all about just a little bit more slowly. And I'm not talking a week or a day later. I'm going, honestly, if you can stay curious for the first three minutes of a conversation, things are going to get interesting. Mm-hmm. And I could not agree more with you, Michael. In medicine, there are studies that show that physician interrupt a patient within 18 seconds that's right. of them talking. And I think that's harsh on physicians because it makes it sound like they're the ones who they're the only ones who do that. But you know, if I had to guess, I go, yeah, that's true with most leaders and most managers and most human beings. You know, we all feel the pressure of time, feel the pressure of adding value, feel the pressure of just the, the way conversations go. And we interrupt each other all the time. So yes, that's true for physicians, but it's not just physicians. We're all we're all doctors in our own lives. No, that, that makes me feel better. So, <laughs> <laughs> so in your book, uh, you suggest something about the advice monsters. Mm. Could you explain this? Sure. So the, the, a quick piece of background is this. When I wrote the, uh, when I wrote the coaching habit, mm-hmm. um, I was really trying to make coaching feel accessible and practical and everyday and unweird for people. Mm-hmm. So the coaching habit is basically Here's a chapter about building habits. So you understand what it means to commit to behavior change. And here are seven really good questions. Mm -hmm. And if you can build those seven questions into the way that you work, things get better. And, you know, that book's gone on to sell close to a million copies. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's been really successful and people have found it helpful, but there's a bell curve in terms of usefulness. There's some people who read it and gone, this is what I was looking for. It's amazing. And they started using the seven questions and, um, they, you know, they lead more effectively. There are some people at the other end of the bell curve who go, I hate this stuff. This is, a, it, this is I don't want to be more coach-like. This is a stupid book. I don't like it. That's fine as well. They're all my one-star reviews on Amazon. I don't have too many. It's like, you know, 1%, but still. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of people in the middle who are like, you know what? I like the, fi- I like the seven questions. They, they're good. They're helpful. I enjoyed reading the book. And I'm finding it hard to change my behavior. Why is it so hard to shift my behavior? And that's partly the inspiration for the advice trap. And I embodied that resistance, that challenge to staying curious in the, in the three advice monsters, tell it, save it and control it. So each one of those um, advice monsters, in some ways, it's just three facets of the same advice monster, which is, you know, just to say it again, there's nothing wrong with giving advice. What we're trying to do is slowing down the, the habit, the reaction, just the in, you know, instinctual response to leap in with opinions and advice. So, you know, talent is like, hey, my job is to have all the answers and this is the way I feel like I'm in control and doing my thing, which is to tell people what to do. Save it is, hey, my job is to save everybody, make sure nobody has a hard time, that nobody struggles or stumbles or falls or finds it difficult. Um, and then control it is my job is to not let the chaos in. My job is to keep my hands on the wheels all the time. And you can see how each one of the motivations for the advice monsters has been helpful at times because, you know, there's been times when having the answer or saving the day or keeping control of things has, has served you. But when it becomes everything and your only response, that's when you start to lose. Did you ever come across the question from leaders, 
what is the difference between coaching and mentorship? Mm -hmm. Or usually they get blended in one in the same bank. They do. Well, let me ask you first, how do you understand the difference between the two? Coaching to me is a partnership. Mm -hmm. I'm not providing solutions. I'm working with someone and guiding them so that they can reach their own solution. Yeah. Mentorship is someone who has similar experience in the field I'm interested in, and they are narrating or giving advice based on their own experience, and it's up to me to take it or not. Yeah, I think that's that's a, a, a great way of understanding it. Here's, here's how I build on that. I think great mentors know how to ask great coaching questions mm -hmm. because it's true that when you seek out a mentor, you're like, hey, you've walked this path before. You know, show me your scars, tell me your stories, and there's a place for that. Mm -hmm. But a great mentor knows that actually, even though they know stuff, they're, they're going to have a more effective relationship if they ask great questions. And they use their experience to kind of frame those questions and set up those questions. And of course, there's a place for telling the stories and giving advice because it's like, stay curious a little longer, get to advice and action a little bit more slowly. I think mentors that aren't great are the ones that go sit down and listen to me pontificate for a while because I'm old and I'm experienced and I have gray hair and I'm going to tell you what to do and what not to do. That's just a, that's a more traditional but less effective form of mentoring in my experience. Indeed. And do you get some comments from people saying, well, uh, this sounds manipulative. Did you ever have this experience? Well, it is a manipulation. I mean, any conversation is a manipulation. Mm -hmm. It's like every conversation you're in, you're mm -hmm. trying to move it from A to B. You're trying to get a certain outcome. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it is manipulative. So it's really worth asking, well, for the sake of what? Why are we having this conversation? And what are you doing? Mm -hmm. And to whom is it in service? And I go, when coaching is being done well, mm -hmm you're committed to that other person and you're asking questions to help empower and enlighten and encourage the people with whom you're working. Because you know, if I'm telling them what to do, that's me manipulating the conversation as well. But now I'm going, I'm doing this because I want to be in control. I want to have, have high status. I want to be the authority. I want to make it happen fast. So everything's a manipulation. Everything you, you're actively showing up going, this is the outcome that I'm going for. I think it's a really great question to ask, knowing that this is being manipulated by me in the service of what? Is this just for my sake? Is it for their sake? Is it for our sake? And that's the testing ground. Mm -hmm. So manipulation could be good or bad based on the goal of the conversation. I'm, I'm a bit reactive to the good and the bad because mm -hmm. those are those are fairly black and white judgments around the process. But I do think that you can manipulate a conversation for self-serving ends. Of course. And you can manipulate a conversation in service of greater ends. And there's a time and a place for both, but it'd be wonderful if more people had more conversations in service of the bigger picture. People watching us now, if you are interested in knowing more about Michael and his terrific work, check his website at mbs.works and also make sure to check his podcast. He has a terrific podcast and I would highly, highly recommend it. And the links will be in the description below. Thank you. Michael, on the advice trap, what would you advise uh, leaders to do practically to stop themselves from giving advice? So 
it's worth acknowledging that if people are listening to this and they're like, ah, yeah, I'd like to do this, but it's hard. I'm like, it is hard. You know, we have been encouraged all our lives to have the, be the person with the answer, <laughs> to know the answer, to be the subject matter expert, to pass the test, to get the A. So the first step is to, you know, not overly beat yourself up about having a habit for giving advice. Cause honestly, we, we all do, we're all wired for that. I mean, even at a kind of quite fundamental neurological level, our brain likes certainty more than it likes uncertainty mm -hmm. and advice feels like certainty and questions feel like uncertainty. So there's just a kind of a deep wiring that goes, you know, seize control of the moment. I think, you know, there's a, there's a few doorways in. So let me give some people some options. You know, one is to say, look, if you think just knowing some good questions can help, then you can either grab a copy of the coaching habit or Google it and find out the seven questions and pick a question and start to work with them. Or if you go to the coachinghabit.com, you can download the first chapters of the book and you can read the chapter on habit building and you can go, right, I'm just going to deliberately set out to um, build a coaching habit. If you're like, ah, I tried that, didn't work. <laughs> you may need to, um, go one step earlier than that. And it's, I would say, start noticing your advice monster. Because once you start noticing how quickly and how often you jump in and you rush to advice giving, then you might start seeing the, the cost of that, the consequences that you're paying and others are paying for that. Now, you can obviously, you heard me talk about tell it, save it and control it. If you're really keen to figure out which is your advice monster, uh, at theadvicetrap.com, there's a free quiz you can take, which says, here's how you figure out which is your crazy advice monster. And it'll give you information about your advice monster, plus some tactics to manage it as well. So that's another option for you. Oh, that's wonderful. And thank you for sharing this. Michael, we all had tough times in our lives. Mm -hmm. And we all somehow managed to overcome them to become who we are now. Would you mind sharing one of yours? And I'm sure it will be an inspiration for many who are hearing <laughs> us now. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? I'm, I'm always curious to know whether these stories of overcoming tough times, I know how they help me telling the story because it makes me feel more human and look at Michael, he overcame the hard times and, and moved on to some degree of success. So it makes me look good. Um, and I hope it's helpful for people listening in as well, because I think honestly, in your acknowledgement, it's like, hey, we all struggle. We all have difficult times around this. Who didn't? It's just, we are good in denying them <laughs> or hiding true. them. And or hiding them as well. Yeah. You know, I love that quote. And I can't remember who said it, but it's like, be kind to people because we're all fighting our own battles. So mm -hmm. behind any story of success is often a whole bunch of stories that you don't hear. So I'll give you just, rather than something mythological from my past you know here's a here's a, a story from today so i'm writing a new book i've written six or seven books before so mm -hmm. I, i've written books and i know how to write books mm -hmm. um a couple of weeks ago i sent out uh, my first draft to a select group of five in a circle early readers of the book two of them came back pretty quickly going i like it it's really good one of them came back going high level it's it's okay this is good I, I don't like these bits about it I'm like okay that's good i got feedback today from somebody and she's like this doesn't work this is a broken book too many things going on too many things 
too shallowly explained, too flippant at times, too fake, profound at times, just really didn't like it. Now, I've got a pretty robust self-esteem. I kind of feel I'm, I'm pretty resilient in who I am and the value I have in this world. But, you know, there's a way when you get feedback like that from this thing that I've been working on for five months and writing and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting to go, it's, it's a bit, it's a bit underwhelming mm -hmm. is, is, um, you know, it's just one of those moments where you're like, oh, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, one of the quotes from this new book is we unlock our greatness by taking on the hard things and writing a book is a hard thing. And we unlock our greatness by running into these comments and going, right, so how do I not get knocked down by that, but by, but be polished by that, by burnished by that? So, you know, I'm not sure that's particularly inspiring for anybody, but just to say, you know, there's one way that people, let's say any, I mean, my bet is that almost nobody knows me who's listening to this, but let's say you do know me and you know my books have sold some millions of copies and I've got this, that, and the other medals on my chest. It's helpful for you to know, perhaps, that I'm like, yeah, every day something happens where I get rejected and turned down and told it's not very good. It's just part of the process. And when you get a feedback like this, Michael, mm -hmm. how do you discern whether it is for, to help you or to discourage you? I know it's to encourage me because I handpick the people to give me feedback on this. Mm -hmm. So these are people I know and I trust. And I just know they have, they have my back. They're doing this for my sake, not for any other sake. Mm -hmm. But I also know that with feedback, I take what's useful and I ignore the rest. Mm -hmm. So feedback isn't the truth. It's just somebody's best guess of what they think is going on with whatever. So um, if we give up our, if we give up control and we kind of hand it to the other person going, wow, giving me feedback and that's the truth and I must do whatever you think, then then you you disempower yourself. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, you know what? The, I, the feedback from people I trust, I weigh more carefully and I listen to more carefully. Um, but even that, I don't always necessarily believe. I just am grateful for it being another point of view that I might disagree with. Yeah. I'm actually impressed by your friend because most people would just say, you know what? Oh, it is terrific. Wonderful. Go ahead. Well, that's partly why they're my early readers. Because I can say to them, it's not helpful for me for you to give me kind of bland statements of it being okay. I need you to find the soft spots for this because I'm committed to this hopefully being as good a book as the coaching habit is. Mm -hmm. So that went through rounds and rounds and rounds of being written and rewritten. Mm -hmm. um, let's make this one as good. And that just means that I'm going to, you have to keep kneading the dough. <laughs> you have to keep. Yeah you know, sharpening the sword. And this is just part of that process. Indeed. And how do you handle these moments, Michael? How do I handle it? I'd say I try and feel the feelings. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think five very core basic feelings, mad, sad, glad, ashamed, afraid. So when I get feedback like that, I've got a little sadness. I've got not, no real anger. I've got no real shame. I've got a little bit of gladness, a little bit of happiness, because I'm like, maybe this will show me a, a better book. And I've got a bit of fear, which is maybe there's no book here at all. Mm -hmm. So it's like, feel the feelings. Um, remember that they're on my side. 
and remember that my feedback, it's my choice as to what I take from that feedback or not. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing this, Michael. What a pleasure to have you on Thrive. My pleasure. Thanks for having me along. I've enjoyed being on the Thrive podcast. Thank you. And people watching us, until we meet next time, keep safe, keep resilient, keep motivated, and see you in the next episode of Thrive. Thank you.